You're listening to HSBC Talks Business. Learn how businesses like yours are leveraging a wide range of banking solutions to maximize their success and how HSBC is helping them. Listeners should note that this episode has been recorded remotely. Therefore, the sound quality may vary. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Inspiring Progressive Business, a podcast series for SMEs. Join us for insights from inspirational business leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts on key topics of importance to your business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our fundraising masterclass, where we'll be talking about the realities of the fundraising journey, which type of support is most appropriate for your business, and how to connect with private investors. I'm Christy Pang. Head of Telecom Media and Technology for Corporate Banking at HSBC. I'm excited to be joined today by a panel of amazing experts. First, Winnie Lung, Managing Partner for Transcend Capital Partners, Tony Tong from Gobi Partners, Nicole Denholder, founder of Next Chapter Ventures. Last but not least, of course, Harry Kirklow, co-founder and chief executive officer of Geely Capital Management. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Today, we'll cover the various types of investments, as well as the different funding stages and what investors are looking for, including the all-important pitch, of course. We'll also discuss the added benefits of seeking funding from access to new networks, marketing, supply chain connections, and more. So I want to start briefly on what some of the key challenges are to growth. And Tony, I'll come to you first. Why might a business want to seek investment, both from debt and equity investors? Um, So actually, it's a very interesting question. One is that you need to acquire talent. And secondly, you need to, um, in the competitions, and third is that uh, you need to have a lot of uh, financial resources in order to to cope with different uh, good or bad situations in order to... um, uh, remain competitive here in the market. Thank you, Tony. But there are a lot of different types of investment, right? So in order to fuel that growth, Winnie, I'll come to you with this one. What are the main forms of investment and what are the key differences? Number one is a PC or private equity investments, where the company would raise money by issuing new shares to investors. We were talking about equity fundraising. And number two, it could be debt instruments. For example, borrowing a loan from HSBC, you know, issuing a note, selling your receivables, or even issuing com- convertible bonds. And number three would be uh, JV or strategic investment. So this is actually quite common, say, for a lot of businesses, say you have a partner who can contribute something that is complementary to your business. We often see this as a form of partnership between two parties, forming a JV together and then contributing their own know-how or capital or technology and then to form a company and you know, expand into a new market or, or a new area. And the, the parties would share an equity interest so that the partner's objective is aligned. Thanks, Winnie. Could you talk a little bit about the investor journey and life cycle? You know, what are the key stages within the investment journey? Sure. We heard a lot about seed investment, angel investment, series ABC. Like back then, I, I often wonder what these letters represent. <laughs> or um, I can give everyone a general idea. We are here, first of all, we're generally referring to equity fundraising, and there are different stages. 
for seed and angel investment, seed and angel round. Basically, the company could have, you know, the founder could have an idea, a concept, or, you know, no or very few customers. Um, they may have a prototype or they started marketing or, you know, they need funds for uh, manufacturing or mass production of their product. So they would see an angel around financing from likely friends and family investors, individuals. And when the company has a few customers or when their products are ready, you know, they start making money, they start to, you know, mass produce their products. They want to seek institutional investors to make investment. And that we come to series A, B, C or later rounds. For a series A, I would say the company would be ready to go to market and they're ready to scale. So they're trying to get VC or, or we call venture capital investment. And, you know, they, they would get a term sheet from the investor and do a proper due diligence and issue a series A round. And then afterwards, as the company grows bigger, they may seek series B or C or even later rounds. And how is that different from A round is that the goals and the proceeds would, you know, get bigger and bigger every time. So every time the company would set a certain goals, and then they will need to tell the investors how I would spend your money to fuel the growth of the company. And then they raise that round to put the money in, you know, to invest the money in the company and to achieve the goals that they promised. And of course, afterwards, we often hear about IPO or trade sale that would that would be the later stage of financing or even you know, selling the company. So eventually, either the founder or the investors will have an exit. So I think these are basic terms that we often hear about you know, different stages of financing within the equity financing area. But as I said, I think you know, as the company is at different stage of the development, there are different investors targeting different stages of the life cycle of the company as well. So we do need to make sure that the expectations and goals of the investors and the corporates are, are completely aligned for each of the round. Thank you, Winnie. I'll turn to uh, Harry and Tony. You just mentioned a bit about where GLY and Gobi sits uh, in terms of that uh, scaling phase. We have different challenges kind of in maintaining relationships with early stage companies so that we can invest in them when the time is right for us, which is at, as a, you know, in, a, in a D stage or a slightly later stage. I don't necessarily want an early stage. I want a later stage investment. But just because what's going on in the market at the moment, I'm forced to kind of keep an eye out on those earlier stage companies. But the reason why we want to go later stage in our own investments is that we have a technical and research centres that validate the service or technologies that, that a company is providing to us. And it takes a long time to become automotive grade. And so we like the idea of not necessarily a concept, but something which is actually testable, a, a product that exists, and a company that's more on its way to design win than necessarily a proof of concept. So growth stage companies or later stage companies that we can then help with our own commercialization and our own use after, of course, first validating them with our research centres to let us know that the product itself is uh, worthy of, of, of being in the supply chain. Thanks, Harry. And Tony, from Gobi's perspective, which series or which life cycle stage does Gobi fit in? Gobi is an early stage of venture capital firm. So uh, we mainly focus in uh, pre-A, series A, series B, or even series C, uh, this kind of company. So uh, there's a characteristic for this company is that uh, mostly uh, when they pitch us for investment, I think 10 to 20% of the, of the founders, actually, they just come up with an idea, just come up with a PPT site. And the majority of the founder are around 
50 to 60 percent that they, they may have their prototype ready. They may already launch their products, the services, and gain some initial revenue. But they need further capital to uh, fuel the growth, to fuel, to further validate the business model. And then finally, I'll say uh, 30 to 40 percent of the companies actually that they are in the growth stage in the sense that they, they want to have some kind of like uh, a strategic investor or financial investor that could bring value to them. Thank you. So, Nicole, I'm going to come to you now. Um, what are the key things that founders need to understand about investment before choosing which kind of investor or financing option is right for them? Yeah, that's a great question, Christy. Firstly, they really do need to assess and understand where they are in their business and determine how much funding they're looking for and what type of funding bucket that could fall into, particularly when we're talking early stage businesses, different types of funding opportunities. So are they looking at crowdfunding, revenue-based financing, or moving into venture capital? Um, possibly even grants might be for some of them early on, but certainly looking at that spectrum and making a decision. Now, they need to really research and understand their investors, you know, what's their investment thesis? Because you don't just want to be pitching to anyone. You don't want to be wasting both your time. You're still running a business. You want to really understand what's the right thing that I need to be doing for my business. What's the right type of investor I'm looking for? You know, Tony already mentioned, is it someone that's strategic? You know, you've got that in mind. Thank you, Nicole. I'm going to make a pivot now to a, an interesting topic for the day, which is uh, what everybody wants to know, what investors are interested in right now, starting with Harry first. So you've mentioned a little bit about mobility. You've mentioned a little bit about sustainability. What are the key areas that interest GLY at this moment? It depends on who you ask as to what their criteria is. I guess for us, the starting criteria has to be profitable. I mean, at the end of the day, we're an investor. We're not going to give our money away to, to unprofitable ventures. And then ESG is a really big element to here, particularly if we're going to help you commercialise your business. So um, if you are going to be carbon neutral, then your supply chain needs to be diligent in knowing what its carbon footprint is and then minimising it. If it's a product itself that's about to go into our supply chain, we're quite cognizant of um, margin compression as you expand. So the question we have for founders is, well, how do you maintain your product margin? And as you expand, what do you expect your margin to be? Um, will you protect it? Thanks, Harry. Um, there's lots of industries that are going through disruptive change. And obviously, you know, from the automobile industry, that's a major one. Energy is another one as well. But what about earlier stage? And what about the Greater Bay Area, Greater China focused investors? Tony, come to you for that one. So in general, Greater Bay Area so is actually a massive opportunity for investors like us as an early stage investor because uh, there's a giant populous uh, regions with over uh, 70 million uh, people in one very tiny, tiny spot. And also, um, there are actually a lot of different things happening in the region. So this kind of uh, a capacity or technological capability in, ma in manufacturing a high-tech product like smartphone is actually, so the infrastructure is all there. So there are a lot of uh, uh, people, a lot of talent a lot of business owners and also a lot of a lot of techniques that actually here uh, in the, in the region waiting for uh, investor or waiting for entrepreneurs to come to unleash the potentials. So Gobi are a strong believer in in investing in this kind of new driving force of of the new economy that trying to unleash the economic value out of it. So that as a as a VC we go there and invest in a lot of different. Industry, for example, like like industry 4.0, or we call it uh, smart manufacturing, and second would be like sustainability, 
So a lot of like, for example, new materials, uh, battery technologies, uh, energy management, all this, all, all this kind of thing that leads to the sustainability of the human race and also the, also the economic growth in general. And then, and then thirdly, we're about like talking about the entire like a GBA ecosystem. So, um, GBA would be like, they have a, have a unique culture, have a unique, unique, um, 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 part of their economy here in China. So we also foresee that there are maybe a lot of, uh, like different new consumer trends, new consumer behavior that actually evolve in this, in this, uh, special, uh, kind of a range of different cities, including, uh, including, uh, 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 a few, a few, a few mainland cities, and also two special administrative regions of Hong Kong and Macau. I think you brought out several key themes that are emerging and are hot topics within the area. It's just on that point of pivoting, transforming, and also disruptive technologies. Harry, could I just come to you a little bit further to share any stories you have where business such as yourselves or others have done successfully pivoted through investment, uh, whether it is organic, inorganic changes, et cetera, and how these companies have been able to do that in a very short period of time? Yeah, look, and it is such a really crucial part for the companies that we invest in. So if we think about anything that's to do with autonomous technology, so radars, LIDARs, the software, to get to complete autonomy, we have to solve for really complex situations that are to do with urban um, environments. And urban environments are just fraught with complexity and, and chance. So you've got cats, dogs, children, other cars, people that don't use the road in the way that they should. It's a complicated environment. So the technology that you need to make that happen is in itself relatively advanced. But a company that may have its eye on solving that particular piece of technology might first start in a more simpler environment and start and have a plan for making uh, its business case or commercialising um, in a different environment, which then, I guess, matures um, as the company matures itself and also as regulations catch up. So that company that may have a particular solution for urban situation may first start off with a simpler environment such as mining, right? A truck that just goes along a straight path delivering coal, picking up, uh, delivering, picking up, delivering. Then it might move to something like a campus or an airport where you've got vehicles that do move along a set path, but it's geofenced and there are minimal complexity, once again, compared to the urban environment. And then you might move to an outside world, but that outside world might also be somewhat simpler. It might be a highway use case. So the technology works on a highway only. And then lastly, the technology is deployed in the real world situation where you're in suburbia, navigating cats and dogs and so forth. So there might be an example of how you might start off, if you will, and progress. Now, the, the, the hard part is working out when to do that, right? Because some companies are now really quickly developing solutions already with the end goal in mind, but only delivering parts of it as the regulations themselves catch up. So it is a, look, it's up to the company to work out how best to kind of, its resources are spent, but having a mind on commercialization and where the industry is going is certainly what we look for when we think about pivoting. Yes, converting those consumer trends and demands into executable uh, commercializable uh, solutions is going to be the big challenge, um, you know, nowadays. And to do that quick enough and, and you know, sort of in front of other competitors is going to be difficult. I'm just going to uh, come to a little bit on uh, how the fundraising uh, ideals and all of these stages and best practices 
then translate in the real world? And I'll come to Nicole for that. What's the reality of the journey of founders that you've mentored or come across? You know, we've talked a lot about the optimal journey. What's reality, Nicole? I mean, effectively building a business does take time um, through that idea, through developing it, commercializing it, getting feedback. I mean, there is no expectation that your journey is this one line that goes across. It is a little bit of a squiggle. So, you know, take heart if you're under starting a business, you're, you're here on this um, masterclass thinking, how am I going to get fundraising? You know, there are a lot of no's that are involved in um, talking to investors. And, you know, I'd, I'd already mentioned that being as tailored and precise as possible is really critical. And, you know, if you're not doing that, you're going to get more no's than you want. But then you'll also be getting great feedback and really trying to work out, okay, what's valuable for me to take on for my business, I think is really important to be able to judge was what this investor has given me in terms of feedback. Is that something I should be leveraging? And actually, if you've engaged with a great investor who has said, you know, maybe now's not the right time, make sure you walk away with some KPIs or something that you can say, well, when should I come back to you? Because that actually helps you move your forward, your business forward. And certainly thinking from day one or as early as you can, you know, where is my business going and what's that vision? Because that helps you then plan around all the fundraising needs that you can build into, you know, into the plans that you're taking to, you know, Tony, Winnie, Harry. Now, I, I really wanted to touch on women and diversity. I just wanted to note that our panel today is very gender balanced. So that's a great job to the organizers. And Winnie, obviously, as founding partner of uh, Transcend, you are committed to backing a minimum of 50% of female founded businesses, which is a very rare statement to make in the investment industry. Can you tell us more about the rationale behind this? Sure. Our rationale is very simple. It is actually very well researched and concluded that diverse teams have higher performance. Diverse teams drive strong returns. Like if I, if I may quote an article on Forbes, women-led private technology companies have 35% higher IOI, and when venture-backed, they are 12% higher revenue. There is, however, only less than 3% venture funding globally that went to women-led startups in the past two to three years. The dislocations here presented us with an opportunity, and therefore we have an objective of earning a higher return on investment and at the same time supporting female-led companies with additional access to capital, network, and advice. And that's why we have a you know 50% target balance in terms of both our GP composition and also the, uh, the, the funding that we have in female and male uh, teams. Well, thank you. Nicole, you must have a lot to add to here. Tell me what you're seeing in the real world. Uh, it, it's true. Given this is the space we focus on as a business, um, I mean, there's a growing recognition that there's a need for communities around female founders, um, you know, a safe space where if they're going through the fundraising cycle, particularly if they're sole founders, they want to be talking to like-minded people in the same spot. So we're seeing that. But just reflecting, you know, Winnie's touched upon some of the statistics that, um, you know, show that there's still an imbalance in terms of funding going towards both all-female teams and diverse teams in terms of male and female founders. And, you know, what you're seeing at the early stage is there's two very easy places to spot where there's an opportunity 
to both investors and um, founders to think about how can we really change our behaviors here. There's some research that's come out of the London Business School that talks about prevention and promotion questions that are used in the initial discussions that investors have with founders, maybe a pitch or a bit of a meeting. But what the research shows is that um, men are more likely to be asked promotion-based questions, which is very gain-oriented. You know, what's your potential? Women are asked more prevention-based questions, which is more risk mitigation, loss-oriented. And the statistics show that, you know, like begets likes or promotion-based question results in a promotion-based answer, prevention-based question results in a prevention-based answer. And their research found that promotion-based answers, the answers, it doesn't matter what gender answers, received 14 times more funding than someone that answered a prevention-based answer. And so they redid the research and they made it much more balanced in terms of trying to address, well, is this gender-specific or question-specific? And it really does depend on what's the answer that you give. So we work a lot with founders on um, reframing answers to questions with investors in, in really explaining this and the opportunities there. The other um, quick one just to talk about is Warm referrals, a lot of investors, you know, do leverage their network and their warm referral space. And, you know, we actually talked about this on a HSBC um, masterclass last week around the issues around um, women don't have or haven't historically had formalized networks. And what they're looking for is more recent uh, relationships and communities where there's an opportunity for them to really build the network that they can break into these warm referral cycles. And so there is a bit of a disconnect there. And you're seeing a real growing trend in that space. I've seen up to over 50 female networks across Asia and Australia, and I think there's more and more. So I think there's some really important, easy wins to start addressing early on. Thank you, Nicole. Wanted to go to each of you for two or three key takeaways to what makes a great pitch, in your opinion. Okay, Starting with Harry, if I could. Harry, two or three nuggets of wisdom that you would like our audience to take away today. Passion is obviously, but that passion, I think people say passion all the time. But for me, it kind of stems, I read passion as genuine motivation. And genuine motivation generally stems from having a core belief that what you're doing, A, is good, and two, you really have a competitive advantage to an incumbent. You really honestly believe I've got something special here and it's my life's work, if you will, now to bring it to market. Um, The second is, and this actually ties in nicely to uh, gender balance, is differentiated thinking and process. We've got 20,000 people in various research centres across the globe. We don't need to be shown products and services which we can develop internally. We need to go outside and look for people that think differently from us, have a different point of view, have a different um, a way of manufacturing, a different process. And then the last one is possibly the most important. I think, Christy, you touched on it really early on. That's execution. Like you can put together a great PowerPoint. You can send it off to a grad. I'm sure they'll do a better job than I ever will at color coding and showing flow charts. But is it executable? Can you execute your business plan? That's all important to us. Thank you, Harry. And your thoughts, Winnie? Yeah, I think I look in, in pitches. I look for three main things. Number one is technology. Number two is team. And number three is the product market fit. For technology, I think it resonates a bit with what, what Harry has explained. We have to make sure that it is technologically advanced and what we have in the market so that it is a superior product. And number two, I think it's very important to have 
the team, the relevant team with relevant experience, because execution is the most important. A lot of people say ideas are cheap. Ideas are everywhere. But you need a team with high execution capability to execute the, the commercialization of that. And number three is product market fit. Whether you have a product that is in a very small market, you have 100% market share in a 10 million US dollar market is not something that's very interesting. If you have 1% market share in a $10 billion market, that would be very interesting to me. So I think these are the three key things that I would look for. I think, uh, Tony, you touched on market size and how the sheer you know, uh, opportunity there is in the GBA as well. So, Tony, over to you for your two or three takeaways. Yeah, so over three takeaways. So the first is before going to pitch investor or before going to meet investor, uh, remember to speak in the investor language. So from our industry, a lot of different investors actually from different backgrounds. So I myself is from uh, a computer science background and some of my colleagues may be from accounting background. Some of them may be from entrepreneurial background, product background. So there are actually investor community is very diverse. So first of all, make sure that you speak the language that uh, the, the investor understands. It's very important. That's number one. And then number two is really tell the story about how special or how unique uh, your product, your business, or, or especially you are. So actually, so as investor, we, 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 so this is our job to meet a lot of entrepreneurs and to evaluate different like investment opportunities for ourselves and for our LP. And it's very important thing that is that it's really how to communicate, how to, how to plan impressions to investors that, okay, this one is very special. This entrepreneur is someone that I don't want to miss and I, I, I need to maintain relationships with. So this is very important. Mm-hmm. Do make yourself special. And then third is about, actually, I want to say execution, but, 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 uh, Winnie and Harry talk about this. So I want to break it another point is that always know about your position. So in, a, in this, uh, technological era, so, uh, the world is changing, business world is changing. And, um, we have a lot of different new, new companies. We have a lot of very large corporations doing new business line, doing new stuff. But actually different people are doing different things. So you really need to let people know that where you actually sit on the map and what is the direction and what is the expansion plan and what's the execution that it's like, it's like playing a chess game. So how you go for it step by step in order to win the chess game and for you, for you pitching investor. So it's very important for, for investor to understand and to know that actually you know where you are and where you are going to. That's very key. Thank you very much, Tony. Last but not least, uh, Nicole. Hi, thanks. I think, you know, so much has been covered in all of those suggestions. I would just touch on, I'm going to come from the female founder perspective because we do that, do see that. And I think there's some, you know, elements to highlight here to improve the pitch process for them. And I think, um, well, Harry had mentioned passion and I would say that there's often those used words, words such as passion and confidence used for women, but actually what they need to do is show conviction you know, this is a great opportunity. You don't want to miss out on that. Like really have that element of going past confidence to conviction. That's quite key. Secondly is moving away from that origin story to, um, you know, Tony talked about it, but you always think what makes you unique, but really make sure you've got an investment and growth hat on, not a revenue kind of driven one, but where is business going? We're trying to highlight that. And I'd already mentioned this one before I always come back to this, is really always think about any questions 
questions, ask the view, pause and reframe to give the best answer for your business. And I think also it does respond to what is the language the people you're talking to are expecting you to see. So being full about that. Thank you. And I like the way that you framed passion and confidence into conviction. So that's a that's the key word, a key takeaway for myself as I end that as we close today. So thank you all for your input today. It's been an extremely interesting discussion. Thank you so much to Christy and all of the panel for that insightful look at what is undoubtedly a critical topic for those seeking business growth. Thank you all for joining us. This has been a special production of our inspiring progressive business mini-series. There will be more episodes focusing on a number of different topics such as starting your green journey, being cyber resilient and how having a purpose-led mindset could benefit your business. Please listen out for those. Thank you for joining us for HSBC Talks Business. To learn more about anything you heard today, please visit business.hsbc.com.